Ezekiel chapter 34. We're going to read verses 1 through 16. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, prophecy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophecy and say to those shepherds, Thus says the Lord, God, Woe, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding themselves. Should not the shepherds feed the flock? You eat the fat and clothe yourselves with the wool. You slaughter the fat sheep without feeding the flock. Those who are sickly you have not strengthened, the diseased you have not healed, the broken you have not bound up, the scattered you have not brought back, nor have you sought for the lost, but with force and with severity you have dominated them. And they were scattered for lack of a shepherd, and they became food for every beast of the field and were scattered. My flock wandered through all the mountains and on every high hill, and my flock was scattered over all the surface of the earth. And there was no one to search or seek for them. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As I live, declares the Lord God, surely because my flock has become a prey, my flock has even become food for all the beasts of the field, for lack of a shepherd, and my shepherds did not search for my flock, but rather the shepherds fed themselves and did not feed my flock. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against the shepherds, and I shall demand my sheep from them and make them cease from feeding sheep. So the shepherds will not feed themselves anymore, but I shall deliver my flock from their mouth, and they may not be food for them. For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I myself will search for my sheep and seek them out. As a shepherd cares for his herd in the day when he is among the his scattered sheep, so will I care for my sheep and will deliver them from all the places to which they were scattered on a cloudy and gloomy day. And I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries and bring them to their own land. And I will feed them on the mountains of Israel, by the streams and in all the inhabited places of the land. And I will feed them in a good pasture and their grazing ground will be on the mountain heights of Israel. There they will lie down in good grazing ground and they will feed in their rich pasture on the mountains of Israel. I will feed my flock and I will lead them to rest, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost, bring back the scattered, bind up the broken and strengthen the sick, but the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them with judgment. Good morning. So by my count, we're in about week nine of this series in Ezekiel. And I want to congratulate you because we have actually turned the corner now. Today represents the turning of the corner from judgment to a bit of hope. And it's kind of a soft turn. There's some judgment in this passage. But we're going to focus more on the hope and mercy. We had five weeks of judgment, and we're going to move into five weeks of hope and restoration, and that'll lead us into uh, Easter Sunday. So just to let you know, Ezekiel has this prophetic ministry, and it really has two sides to it. Um, He's in exile, right, in Babylon, and he's preaching and speaking God's words to people in exile, and he is warning them of the coming destruction of Jerusalem back in Israel. And so the first half of the book is all this warning and all this coming judgment. But then in chapter 33, in verse 21, 
The, it, the, the city of Jerusalem is actually destroyed, and a survivor from the city comes to Ezekiel in, in exile and says, the city has fallen. And now all that Ezekiel warned about has finally come to pass. And so now his tone changes and now he has this ministry of this promise of hope. He's going he's gonna to talk about God's restoring the people, bringing them back into the land. And so the, the last half of Ezekiel, we get these just beautiful pictures of, of God restoring his people, uh, binding their wounds, bringing them back into the land. It's just this wonderful picture. Really, chapters 34 and following is basically the gospel according to Ezekiel. We're going to hear the gospel that we know so well prophesied 500 years in advance, really the gospel of this God who wants to be a shepherd for his people and has sent his son to do for us what we can't do for ourselves and has sent his spirit to do in us what we can't do in ourselves. And we're going to hear that gospel via Ezekiel over the next five weeks. And today, we start with this picture of a God who has come to be the shepherd of his people. Obviously, shepherd is the theme of this passage. It's this beautiful picture of God's care and concern for us, for his people, for his flock. And before I look at the passage, I just want to acknowledge that the metaphor of shepherd and sheep uh, is, uh, well, I'd say we tend to sentimentalize that a bit. You know, when I think of, a, of sheep, grown up in Orange County, uh, <laughs> This is the picture I have in my head, okay? I picture like going up north, traveling through central or southern Oregon, you know, and you've got these green rolling hills and there's sheep there quietly grazing and you never see a shepherd, right? The sheep are out there, but I'm driving, there's never a shepherd in sight. Um, Little different than a Middle Eastern sheep's experience of life, which looks much more like this. Uh, And I've been there several times, and I've seen this very scene uh, many times. Of course, in the Middle East, you have a much less green climate. It's rocky. It's dry. And so whenever you see sheep, there's not tons of them usually. There's a a gathering of about 20, and the shepherd is almost always nearby. Often he's actually leading them, and I've seen shepherd walking, and his sheep are falling behind. But of course, life is dangerous as a sheep in the Middle East, Uh, You need someone to lead you to water. You need someone to protect you from wild animals. And it it highlights, you know, the need of sheep for a shepherd. So let me give you a little close-up here. Cute little uh, guy. Uh, I think that's an Afghanistan uh, shepherd, actually. So in the metaphor, you're the sheep. In this picture, just clarifying that. God is the shepherd. it's, um, It's not a particularly flattering metaphor. You ever thought about that? Like... Like, sheep aren't uh, particularly bright. Um, you know, right? You've never seen sheep doing cool tricks, right? You never see, like, sheep don't do cool tricks. They're not that smart. Uh, they can't really defend themselves. I've never seen, like, a 100-meter dash via sheep, you know, sheep version. They don't have claws. They're, they're fairly defenseless, not particularly bright. Uh, and that's who we are in this metaphor. <laughs> and it's not that flattering, but it, it highlights the fact that As much as we like to control and lead our own lives, we need somebody. We need someone to guide us. We need someone to protect us. We need someone to provide the things that we need. And the good news is that God promises to be that shepherd for us. And so we get to read of this great promise in Ezekiel 34, this good news that God promises to be the shepherd that his people need. So let's walk through the passage. 
together now that you've been thoroughly humbled by that analogy. Uh, verse 1 through 10, you obviously heard it has, has some edge to it. We, we get, the, we get uh, what the problem is, and the problem is, of course, the current shepherds of Israel. Look at verse 2, son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. So you have God speaking against in this case, the rulers of Israel that time. And I want to suggest that God, when he says shepherds, he's primarily thinking about the kings of Israel and even thinking about them throughout the centuries as, as Israel has had this long succession of kings. But those men who God entrusted his people to, to provide, to protect them, to care for them. And God obviously has some very strong words to say to these shepherds. And I'll read the words again, but what's interesting is if you go back to the beginning of God's relationship with, with Israel, remember he brought them out of Egypt through the wilderness and he brought them into the promised land, and they had this interesting relationship with the kings of Israel. God had said, I want to be your king. And he had, want, he had set up judges, remember kind of local judges in Israel, but he said, I want you guys to be different from the other nations. I'm your king. I want to provide for you. I want to protect you. I want to you don't need a human king. And in fact, that would be one of the things that would distinguish you from the other nations is that you don't have a human king. I'll be your king. This is, remember, this is 500 years earlier, under, just before King Saul. Uh, and the people don't like that idea. Um, they want a human king. And so in 1 Samuel, they're speaking to uh, the prophet Samuel, and they say, Samuel, appoint a king to lead us, such as all the other nations have. We want to be like the other nations. God had said, I want you to be different from the other nations. But they said, no, we, we want a king to fight our battles for us, just like every other nation has. God responds to that uh, by saying to Samuel, it's not you they've rejected, but they have rejected me as their king. And so God basically concedes and says, okay, I will give you human kings that you ask for, but Samuel, I want you to warn the people what these kings will actually do to them. And so this is what Samuel says to the people. This is what the king who will reign over you will do. He will take your sons and make them serve with his chariots and horses in the army. He will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive groves and give them to his attendants. He will take a tenth of your grain and of your vintage and give it to his officials and attendants. He will take a tenth of your flocks and you yourselves will become his slaves. The key repeated word there is he will what? He will take. A human king, he is going to take, take, take from you. Okay, he's not going to, he's going to use his power and he's going to take advantage of that and he is going to take things from you. The people's response is, no, <laughs> no, they said, we want a king over us, then we will be like the other nations. And so God grants them kings, beginning with King Saul. And God actually not only grants them, but ultimately God blesses the whole idea of kingship in Israel. And with King David, he makes a promise to David. He says, one of your descendants will actually reign on a throne forever. So not only does he concede this idea, but he ends up actually blessing it. Say, this will be a source of blessing to you. But the relationship throughout Israel's history with its kings was always one of, of tension. In God's words, the, the warning came to pass. So now here we are 500 years later, after we've had you know, many, many kings, and God is now presenting his case against the shepherds of his people. So let me walk you through this. His main problem with the kings, you see it in verse 2. Take a look at verse 2. 
Son of man, prophesy, oh, sorry, uh, yeah, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel, prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says, woe to the shepherds of Israel who only take care of themselves. Should not shepherds take care of the flock? You eat the curds, you clothe yourselves with the wool and slaughter the choice animals, but you do not take care of the flock. He says, exactly what I warned about, you have done. You just take from from the flock. You, you use your positions of power and authority, and rather than using your authority to serve and to protect the flock, you actually take from them, you take advantage of them to serve your own interests, to build up your own wealth, your own power, your own comforts. And God is, in this passage, he's particularly concerned with how they, uh, or how they did not care for the weak and vulnerable in Israel. Look at verse 4. You have not strengthened the weak or healed the sick or bound up the injured. You've not brought back the lost, the, the strays or searched for the lost. You have ruled them harshly and brutally. I wanted you to care for those poor and needy. You had the power and the ability to, to do that, and you have not cared for them. And he ends this, this uh, attack on them with a very stunning image. Look at the, the very end of verse 10. He says, I will rescue my flock from their mouths, and it will no longer be food for them. He says to the shepherd, I'm going to rescue the flock from your mouth. What have the shepherds become? Wolves, right? He's saying, you, you've eaten the sheep. You've taken advantage of the sheep. The people I set up as shepherds have actually become wolves. So I have to save my flock from their shepherds. What a, what a horrible situation that is. So the result of all this is, of course, is, is that there is no real shepherd and the flock has been scattered. Look at verse 5. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd. And when they were scattered, they became food for all the wild animals. My sheep wandered over all mountains and on every high hill. They were scattered over the whole earth and no one searched or looked for them. And literally in Ezekiel's time, that's what happened, right? Israel was conquered and the people were sent into exile. They were scattered throughout the nations, especially in the nation of Babylon. So God is talking about the history of Israel's kings and for the most part, their irresponsibility in their leadership. And I was just thinking, like, if you think about the 500-year history of Israel's kings, that actually pretty much reflects the world's history <laughs> with how the world deals with power and leadership. And we could, we could, you know, insert many political leaders over the history of the world and how they've used their power not to serve the people under them, but to, you know, just take for themselves. We can think of many nations today where there's, there really is no shepherd to watch over people. Uh, injustice is rampant because those in power are corrupt and they, they, just, they just use their power to, to gain their own interests. We can think of even the economic um, history of of the world and, and how people who are in economic places of power, people who are ruling over companies, you know, we could, we could all come up with these people who, who have been corrupted at the top and, and who really have no interest in their employees, but they just want to keep making more money for themselves. And unfortunately, we could even think about the history of the church itself and think about how people in, in power within churches have often used that power just as a platform for their own gifts or uh, in worst cases, even to, as, a, as a way to make money. And so this is a very familiar story of the world using power, using authority uh, for its own interests. And God is not happy with this. So what is God's response to the shepherds of his day? Well, negatively, he says, I'm going to remove you guys from your place of authority. Look at verse 10. 
This is what the sovereign Lord says. I am against the shepherds, and I will hold them accountable for my flock. I will remove them from tending the flock so that the shepherds can no longer feed themselves. And in Ezekiel's day, this literally happened. God removed the kings. This was the end of the Jewish monarchy. Okay, 500 years of a succession of kings. Exile happens. The monarchy is done. No more line of Jewish kings. God literally fulfilled what he's saying right here. God's saying, it's done. This, this is over. Positively, and this is where I really want to focus for the rest of our time here. This is why this is a message of hope and not of judgment today. God's response is, I'm removing you from authority over my people, and I myself am going to shepherd my people. The thing that I wanted all along, that I'd said, this is what I want our relationship to be, I'm going to do that. I myself will be the shepherd of my people. And so verse 11 through 16 describes God shepherding his people. And it's a very beautiful and, and tender passage with these really, I think, really wonderful images of God shepherding us. And I, I, as I was reading, I, I saw three different aspects of, of how God shepherds his people in this passage. So let me just point them out to you. First, God says, I'm going to go search out for my lost sheep. Look at verse 11. For this is what the sovereign Lord says, I myself will search for my sheep, and I will look after them. As a shepherd looks after his scattered flock when he is with them, so will I look after my sheep. I will rescue them from all the places where they were scattered on a day of clouds and darkness. I will bring them out of the nations and gather them from the countries, and I will bring them into their own land. And God literally did this about 70 years after Ezekiel. He searched out the lost sheep of Israel who had gone into other nations and he brought them out of exile and he brought them back into the land of Israel. But it's this picture of a shepherd going out and searching for his lost sheep and gathering them in. And God says, I myself will do that because no one else is doing it. That's the first shepherding role. And then second, this, this description of, of having gathered them, of, of providing protection and care and love for them. Look at verse 14. I will tend them in a good pasture, and the mountain heights of Israel will be their grazing land. There they will lie down in good grazing land, and there they will feed in a rich pasture on the mountains of Israel. I myself will tend my sheep and have them lie down, declares the sovereign Lord. And again, just as he did with the, the false shepherds, God focuses on his care, for, especially for the needy and the vulnerable. Look at uh, verse 16. I will search for the lost and bring back the strays. I will bind up the injured and I will strengthen the weak. So this tender picture of a shepherd caring especially for the vulnerable sheep. It reminded me of uh, Isaiah 40, which has this great image of God as shepherd. He tends his flock like a shepherd. I love this. He gathers the lambs in his arms, carries them close to his heart. Some of us probably have pictures in our houses of, of this image of Jesus, you know, with the lamb. He gently leads those that have young. So this, this picture of care, protection, love, safe pasture. And then the final thing he says he'll do is he's, he's going to shepherd not just with care, but he's going to shepherd with justice. Okay, look at the end of uh, uh, verse 16, the last statement. He says, I will shepherd the flock with justice. And what he's saying here is, as I, I will, I'm not going to let some sheep take advantage of other sheep. If you jump to uh, verse uh, 20, look at what he says here. He says, therefore, this is what the sovereign Lord says to them. 
See, I myself, I will judge between the fat sheep and the lean, the lean sheep. Because you shove with flank and shoulder, butting all the weak sheep with your horns until you have driven them away, I will save my flock and they will no longer be plundered. I will judge between one sheep and another. So he's saying, I'm not going to let the strong take advantage of the weak. There's going to be justice in my flock. So to sum it up, God says, no more human kings. I myself will be the shepherd of my people. Okay, pretty simple. Got that? Okay, then in verse 23, he goes on to say something that to me, at least on the surface, feels like a complete contradiction to what he just said. <laughs> okay, look, look what he says. After saying, I myself will shepherd my people, he says in verse 23, I will place over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he will tend them. He will tend them and be their shepherd. I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David will be prince among them. I, the Lord, have spoken. So on the one hand, he's saying, no more human kings. I myself will be your shepherd. And then he turns and says, I'm actually going to give you my servant David. He will be your shepherd. Well, which is it, God? You feel that tension a little bit? Well, of course, as Christians, we have a wonderful way of, of resolving that tension because we believe that's precisely what God has done. That God has sent his servant David. He has sent a human being in the line of King David, in the lineage of David, to be a human king for his people with, with flesh and bones. And yet God has, at the same time, he has come himself in the form of a human being to shepherd his people. And so God has this resolution to the story at the beginning where Israel said, we want a human king. And God has said, no, I want to be your king. And God's resolution is, okay, I am going to enter into history as a human being, and I will be your king, and I will be the human king that you always wanted. And Ezekiel is prophesying that, 500 BC. So fast forward, okay? Fast forward 500 years to the first century to a poor Jewish carpenter turned rabbi roaming the hills of Galilee and saying things like this. John 10. This is Jesus, of course. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. I know my sheep and my sheep know me and I lay down my life for the sheep. What's he doing here? He is taking on the role of Yahweh in Ezekiel 34. He is, he, he is reflecting the heart of God that God reflects in Ezekiel 34 and he's taking that on himself. Similar language. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. He will come in and go out and find pasture. That language of safe pasture we saw that in Ezekiel 34. Now, again, like I said at the beginning, it's really easy to sentimentalize this passage, right? I mean, we, we've all seen these pictures of Jesus holding lamb. It's this, this passage can be this very, you know, you picture this nice scene like I showed you at the beginning. But I want to suggest these words have a lot of grit. There, there's, a, there's even an edge to them. I and mean, look at what he's actually saying. This is what I already read you. I am the good shepherd. What does it mean for Jesus to be the good shepherd? The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. That's what makes me the good shepherd. I don't take, take, take from my flock. I give 
to my flock. I serve my flock. I use the, the power and authority I have on behalf of the flock. And what he's saying literally here is, I will lay down my life for my flock. And of course, he is referring to what he's going to do on the cross. Because he sees his flock, and like a good shepherd, he's thinking, what are the dangers for my flock? And he's, he knows that the biggest danger for the flock is actually not some enemy from the outside. The biggest danger of the flock is the sins of the sheep themselves. <laughs> That's the greatest danger to the flock. And the fact that that incurs the justice of God, a penalty. And so as a good shepherd, he says, I'm going to stand in the gap for my sheep, and I'm going to lay down my life. I'm going to pay that penalty on the cross for my sheep. And in doing so, I'm going to be that shepherd who protects my sheep. That's what it means for me to be the good shepherd. It's not a sentimental passage at all. It's talking about sacrifice, talking about his use of power for our sakes. Look at what else he says. Now he contrasts himself with all the other shepherds of his day. The hired hand is not the shepherd who owns the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he doesn't lay down his life. He abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. All who ever came before me were thieves and robbers, but the sheep do not listen to them. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they might have life and have life to the full. Okay? That is an attack on the leaders of his day, saying, you are right in line with Israel's kings. You are thieves and robbers. You are just a hired hand. I am the good shepherd. This is not a sentimental passage. Words like this are words that got Jesus killed, okay? If you read John 10, right after this, some of the people say, he's demon-possessed. <laughs> so he, he's saying things that, that are causing, that are stirring people up. But what he's saying is, I am the good shepherd. In contrast to all the shepherds that have come before me, I am the embodiment of God in Ezekiel 34. I am, of course, his servant David, come to shepherd his people. And I was just thinking about his, his earthly ministry. You think about the gospel accounts of Jesus' life. And the, those, those three shepherding aspects of God that we read about in Ezekiel 34, I thought, man, he, he beautifully portrays those. I mean, first, Jesus is the shepherd who he really does, he goes out and searches for the lost sheep, doesn't he? That's what he said. He said, I have come for the lost sheep of Israel. He's the one out reaching out to the, the prostitutes, the tax collectors, those that Israel would have considered lost. He said, hey, I have come to seek and save the lost. That's, that's exactly, he's gathering these lost individuals, bringing them in. And that second part of bringing good pasture, bringing his protection and care, he, he creates this community of grace, of mercy, of love. Come to me all you are weary. Right? He demonstrates servant leadership to them. And then thirdly, he does shepherd with justice. He calls out uh, the, the, the leaders of his day for their injustice. So you see him in his earthly ministry exhibiting exactly what Yahweh said he would do in, in Ezekiel 34. And of course, one day he's gonna return and he's gonna gather in his flock. He's gonna separate the, separate the sheep from the goats and, and, he's, and we will find safe pasture forever. That's what Ezekiel ultimately is pointing to. If you look at, this is a couple chapters later, Ezekiel 37. My servant David will be king over them. They will all have one shepherd. They and their children, their children's children will live in the land forever. And David, my servant, will be their prince forever. Amen? Amen. So there you have it. Very familiar theme. Pretty simple theme. I want to leave you 
with a very simple truth. There you are again. A simple truth. God is your shepherd. Uh, we are his flock. Very simple but profound truth. And I want to leave you with a really simple question in light of that. And, and it's a simple question. It's simply this. Where do you need to be shepherded right now? Where does your heart need to be shepherded by God? Where do you need God to come alongside you in your life and be a good shepherd to you? What are you going through right now? What path are you walking through where you, where you need a shepherd? And, and I just want to acknowledge what I said at the beginning. We don't like being sheep, right? We, we like to be in control. It's interesting, this last three weeks that we've talked about idolatry, the issue of idolatry, so many of you have come up to me and said, you know what my idol is? My idol is control. I... I, I I need to have control over my life. And so I, I want to try to fix my own problems. I want to control my future by doing these things. I want to control the outcomes of, of the things I'm a part of. And I want to remind us all that, that control is an illusion. <laughs> and Orange County is one of the greatest places to keep up that illusion. But in the end, it really is an illusion. And in the end, we do need a shepherd. And the beautiful thing is God so longs to be that shepherd, and he is a faithful shepherd. So let me ask you the question, where do you need God to shepherd you at this time in your life? And we have in Jesus Christ a king who says, I want to be your shepherd. I've already, I've already demonstrated an utter commitment to you. I've already laid down my life for you. You can trust me. So let me lead you. Let me guide you. Come to me. Are you weary? Are you heavy laden? Let me, let me give you rest. Let me be your shepherd. So how do you need God to shepherd you at this season of your life? And I want to leave you with Psalm 23, which is, of course, maybe the simplest and the most famous of all the Psalms. The God is my shepherd. King David wrote this Psalm. And he's, in light of that, he has this deep confidence about his life's future. He says, if God's my shepherd, if I have God as my shepherd, I shall not be in want. He ends it with this, if God is my shepherd, surely, it's a note of confidence, surely goodness and love, it'll follow me all the days of my life. Okay? And, and David knew challenges. David did not have an easy life. But he thought, if God is my shepherd, surely whatever I go through, goodness and love will follow me because I've got this faithful shepherd. And he describes all these different aspects of what it means for God to be his shepherd. And so I was asked that question for you. Where do you need God to lead you? Where, where do you need God to come alongside you? Maybe one of the images of this psalm strikes you. And so we're going to get a little space just to have a conversation with God. But let me just walk you through these images. Maybe right now you're going through something. In that first image, he makes me lie down in green pastures. Maybe that, that idea of green pastures, of course, for sheep, that's where they feed. Maybe, maybe you need God to feed you in some way. Maybe you need, to, you need him to feed you with his word, but maybe that image connects with you. Maybe it's one of the next two. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. Maybe life is loud and hectic and busy right now, and you need God just to provide a space of rest, your heart is tired, your heart is weary, 
And, and the conversation of, God, I, I just need you, rest- I need you to restore my soul right now. I, I'm just, I'm tired. I need your rest. Uh, maybe you need him to guide you in paths of, of righteousness. Maybe you've got a decision ahead of you and you don't know the right way and you're trying to figure out and maybe it's, God, I need you to guide me. Maybe you're caught in some sin right now. Maybe you have wandered from the path of righteousness and, and you, need, you need a God who will bring you back. God, I need you to heal my heart and bring me back into a place of, of righteous living. Uh, next one, he is with me through the darkest dark valley, right? Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Maybe right now you are walking through a dark valley. Life is hard. And you just need God. You just need to know God's with you in it. You just need to experience his presence with you, his hand on your life. And, and maybe that alone is enough, even, even without getting answers. Finally, he prepares a bountiful table in the presence of my enemies. Maybe you are experiencing enemies right now. Maybe there is conflict in your life at work, at home, in the community. And there, there are people that feel like enemies. And you need God to still provide in the midst of the conflict. So maybe one of these images connects with you. We're going to just create a minute of, of space to just have a dialogue with God. So let me open that time and then... the and then uh, the musicians will play a little bit and just give us time to just have a conversation with God over prayer. So let me open this up. Let me pray for us. Well, Father, uh, we don't like to admit (laughs) that we are not in control. We don't always like the idea of being sheep. And yet in the end, we so need you. We need you for salvation, and we need you even in this life to provide, to protect, to lead and guide. And so we're grateful that that's precisely what you long to do for us. You long to lead us, guide us, protect us, care for us. Um, like a loving parent does for, its, for their kids. That's, that's what you think of us. And so would you shepherd us? Would you come alongside us in whatever ways each of us uniquely needs you to do? even this week, come alongside and be the shepherd that we long for. In those places where we're still trying to control and solve and fix, soften our hearts, open us to instead receiving what you have to offer, which is so much better. So be our shepherd, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.